Hello, 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 everybody. You are listening to the very first ever Slighted Podcast. I'm your host, Chelsea Nicole, and we've got a great show for you today. We have an interview with Coach Jakimla, which is awesome. He's a fascinating person, and I love talking to him. He So uh, when I talked to him, it was actually the first time I ever met him when I sat down to interview him. So I went in kind of nervous, not sure what to expect. And he's such a nice guy, very easy to talk to, just really, really a genuine person. That's what I think I, I experienced the most from him is he's very genuine and very passionate and just kind. And his life is so fascinating. He grew up in the Ukraine and then at the age of nine immigrated to the U.S. And we just talked about how those life experiences really shaped him, made him how it made him the person he is today and as well as the magician he is today. So I think you'll really, really enjoy that. But before we get to that interview, let's talk about Slighted, who we are, what we are, and why we exist. So Slighted is a multimedia magic magazine. But it's kind of weird calling it a magazine since we're not going to be doing a monthly subscription or give you a physical copy. We're doing everything online and we're offering all free content. All of this will just be uh, paid for by ads, which P.S., if you are an advertiser and you want to advertise on the podcast, email us at info at slighted.com if you want to do that. Uh, but yeah, everything's going to be free, all the content. So that's pretty exciting. Who doesn't like free things? So how did Slighted come about? Well, Eric Casey, Jay Tamat, and I were at Magic Live 2016 this past summer. And when Stan Allen announced that Magic Magazine was going to be retiring after 25 years, after that announcement, we started talking and we were like, who's going to take their place? Uh, there's going to, I mean, Magic Magazine has been around for 25 years. It's just this staple, like everyone, I mean, it's world renowned, right? So someone, there's going to be this hole to fill, especially when they were talking about how one of the main reasons they're, he's retiring is just he didn't want to take it into the digital age and that physical, you know, the whole subscription uh, for physical copies of magazines was sort of dying out. And as we discussed it, we thought, well, why can't we do it? We, we can do it. There's a hole. There's a need. We, we all have uh, different talents, things that we're good at. We're all passionate about magic and about the magic community. And so that day we just started planning this out. And then the months have just flown by. We've been working so hard to get content prepared, articles written, interviews done, uh, the main show filmed. And so in three days from today will be our official launch. So I'm very excited to get to share this with everyone. Also nervous, very, very nervous too. Uh, I think I think I filmed this intro now 26 times just because I've been nervous about putting this all out there. Just going to be real with you guys. Uh, but I'm, I'm also really excited and ready to get just the first podcast, first video show, and first batch of articles out there. But we really want this to be about you, the audience. We want feedback. So please write us. Write us on Facebook. Email us. Uh, reach out to us on Instagram. However you want to do it. We want to hear from you what you're interested in, what content you want to hear because this really is all about you about the things that interest you yeah so let us know so heads up before we get into the interview we've got the interview today with Kostya the following week will be 
discussion with Sebastian and Eric, and we'll be talking about uh, how to handle hecklers. What do you do when you're, say, you're performing for a small group of like five to six peoples? Five to six peoples? Is that a word? No, people. Sorry about that. And someone says, oh, I know how you did that. I saw what you just did there. How do you respond to that and be polite, not rude, not shut them down? And then for you also to not get shut down or get uncomfortable. So we're going to talk about that. The following week, we're going to talk about developing a character. Is it important to develop a character when you're doing stage magic? And if it is important, how do you go about doing it? So that's what we will be discussing on that week. And then the following week, we will be talking about the David Blaine special. So I personally kind of sided with Ozzy Wynn, because at the end, he starts talking about how he kind of wants to walk away from it because he wasn't a big fan of the bullet catch because David Blaine's putting his life at risk. And then the other side of the argument was what Daniel Garcia said. About how he said, I'd rather be there for it and support him, even though it's such a big risk. So I'm kind of on the side of Ozzy Wynn. Sebastian's more on the side of uh, Daniel Garcia. He wants to be there, be a part of it. So on all these topics, we want to hear your thoughts as well. Please respond. But with that being said, let's jump in to the, uh, the interview with Kostya Kinlot. I am here today with Kostya Kinlot, and we're in his restaurant, um, which is very nice. I really like it. Not my restaurant, but we're right, right. where where performing for a long time now. How long have you been performing here? I've been here maybe eight, nine years, something okay. like that. Yeah. I love the ambiance. Like, oh, it's amazing. Yes. Love this place. Family owned. Um, that's what the best restaurants are, family-owned, and the family is present when the owners are there. They care about things, and it permeates through the whole entire place. Absolutely. And so you'll be able to see some pictures if you want to check that out online. Um, yeah, so we're sitting here having a glass of wine, and I just wanted to spend some time to get to know you. So I will say this. I'm going to be honest with you. I wanted to be prepared, so I kind of looked you up on Wikipedia. Okay. <laughs> and what I thought was sort of most interesting is that I saw you were born in the Ukraine. Mm-hmm. So, how long did you live in Ukraine? I was nine years old when we immigrated to America. Okay. Yeah. And so we left a year after communism broke up, broke up in 91. Mm-hmm. We started applying for permission like 88, 89, mm-hmm. took a couple of years to go through all that. It was a visa lottery process, and like we had the refugee status of getting mm-hmm. out of there. And then, yeah, we came straight to Orlando via 24 hours in New York. Okay. And landed in Florida. So, I'm so curious about that because I honestly have, I honestly don't know anything about just the Ukraine or communism or at the time when you were, you said communism had just broken up. Was Ukraine then a part of like... So it was all part of the Soviet Union. Right. Okay. Soviet Union. Okay. Yep. And so it was a collection of countries. Um, And, you know, I encourage anyone who, who's curious about it, doesn't know anything about it to, to read up history. The more I look at what's happening in the world, we just repeat the same mistakes Mm -hmm. over and over. Absolutely. How critical it is. Yeah. I make the joke in my show that my, my magical powers come from Chernobyl Mm -hmm. And I'm amazed how many people don't know what Chernobyl is because they just they haven't read the history books and they don't know about the nuclear explosion that occurred in the 80s. And that at that time was like the biggest nuclear tragedy that happened in 86. I was three years old and that happened. We were living like 50 kilometers away. Really? Government tried covering it all up at that time for the first few days. So no one knew about it. My parents had friends working there. So they called my parents, told them, get out of here now. So we left for three months and then the nuclear fallout continued traveling towards Poland, all that place. So... That was one of the reasons we left, because in like 88, 89, all the signs um, 
were, were showing up. Kids were being born with like extra limbs and all these horrible things. And so my parents said that was one of the main reasons we need to leave and just the way the country was. Um, and I know people look at it who grow up in America anywhere else, you don't know about communism. Um, you can't even imagine what it's like, but that was the way of life for almost mm-hmm. a century. Mm-hmm. The Soviet Union, it was you know an experiment that, that didn't work out. Yeah. But it kept the people... Um, in a, in a, not a great position for this mm-hmm. whole entire time. And mm-hmm. so the country didn't grow. Mm-hmm. So, so you're growing up there, you have to leave for a period of time. Now, I mean, that's really young. Do you remember that? Do you Very have, much so. You do? I okay. do. My that's... sister was a few years older. She was 14 when we left. Um, I was, I was nine, but I remember because we'd planned for two years for it. So I, I dreamt of America. Yes. And I was like, okay, this is, you know, well, this is what it's going to be. And you know, what I remember is when I was seven years old, standing in line to get a ration of bread and milk because there was only so much that was available. And so it was only like one loaf per family, one gallon of milk per person. And so, yeah, so I grew up in, in really bad times. So coming over here, I've grown up as an immigrant. Um, you know, we became citizens seven years after we landed here. But I still very vividly remember what it's like to have nothing, mm-hmm. to to have no resources, mm-hmm. and still think that life is wonderful and still believe that life is beautiful and by just by having friends and family around you that nothing else matters. So, you know, it's I can appreciate a life without possessions, but what I really appreciate being in America is the opportunity and the freedom to, to create anything you want, to have anything mm-hmm. you want. Mm-hmm. And there's no other country I can imagine where I can have the freedom to create a business around magic, mm-hmm. to be doing magic full-time, and be creating opportunities for magicians around the country um, I'm grateful that we left. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So you're, you grow up here. You've been here since you were nine. Mm-hmm. Your family, your parents are from there. What language would you have been speaking? Was we were speaking Russian. Russian. We weren't Ukrainian okay. because, because it was the Soviet Union. Russian okay. was the main language. Now Ukraine has gone back to, to making Ukrainian mm-hmm. the, the first language. But I was also learning English because I went to a good school. So mm-hmm. I was learning English when I was over there. And a little bit of Ukrainian, mainly Russian. Okay, so was it the transition? I mean, how was it growing up, though, having parents so that culturally, I mean, you're, you're kind of getting both cultures. You're getting sort of the culture from back home as well as American culture. How did that affect, like, let's say, when you're here, like your relationship with your parents? Were there times where you're like, what do you get, like... I'm sure there has to be some pretty big differences, right? You know, I, I never felt like, I think at that age, we, we're really one family. We're all together. Mm-hmm. So I never felt like I was embarrassed by my parents or never felt like, you know, you guys don't get it. Mm-hmm. It was more so we were all learning together. Oh, so yeah, okay. my parents were learning how to, you know, write a check, how to get a mortgage, how to do all these things in the American way of life. You know, for me, life was easy because I had cartoons. Right. You know, I'm nine years old, uh, you have stuff on TV and you're fine, you get by. It was difficult acclimating um, with the kids in my school at first. Mm-hmm. And I definitely felt like an outsider, always, because of the language. But that ended up helping me to pursue, I think, my interest in magic. Because I felt like that that contributed to my outsider status. Right. So I never felt like I belonged. I always felt like I was on the outside. And and similarly, I don't feel like I belong to a Russian society because I'm too American. Right. And I don't really belong to the American society because right. I have the Soviet mindset. So... And I'm okay with that. I'm yeah. okay being the outsider. Yeah. So when you first came over here, did you have, like, was it hard for you to speak English? Or did you, were you already speaking it fluently? No, no, no. I, so I knew words. I didn't know, like, of or is. I didn't know the connecting words, so I couldn't right. put together sentences. Okay. And then what I really did was I ended up watching TV 
every night when my parents would go to sleep, I'd turn the TV on, but I'd put it on mute so they wouldn't catch me watching TV, and I'd put the closed caption on. So I'd watch, like, David Letterman, I'd watch Fox, I'd watch Married with the Children, Melrose Place, How I Learned English, and, and I would watch it all. So I became, like, an expert speller. That's awesome. Within, like, months of being in America, because I was visually seeing all the words. Nice. Yeah, yeah so that That's was a huge awesome. help. So I tell anybody who's learning a new language, cartoons, closed caption, and, and just relaxing. Oh, yeah. I like it. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay, so... So you were learning that way. You said you felt like an outsider. Um, you, you mentioned that you sometimes have like a Soviet mindset. What do you mean by that? What what do, what do you feel like from your culture you have carried over that you can still kind of notice now? You know, it, it's interesting. It's, uh, what I still carry over is like I mentioned because having grown up, having had lost so much family in the Holocaust and having family lived through World War II, you know, I just can appreciate that we we had nothing, and if it ever happens again, that everything will be fine. Mm-hmm. That if, if you have nothing, it's, it's really okay, and you can get by with it. So that's kind of that, that survivor instinct, maybe. Mm-hmm. Because the, in the Soviet Union, it was just such harsh times for yeah. so long, mm-hmm. people just like took that as the new normal. Yeah, absolutely. Because you, know? you adjust. I mean, that's humans adapt. Yeah, exactly. So. exactly. So, so that I have. The other part is maybe just the love for family. We have very, you know... Italians, Jewish families, you really care about the people mm-hmm. and getting around the dinner table and being together. So that's an important part of, of our culture mm-hmm. that we've kept. And then when we moved over to America, you could only bring two pieces of luggage with you per person mm-hmm. and $50 per person. So moving to America, wow. with, you know, five people, $250 pieces of luggage. Wow. So one of the things my parents did was we sold off all the furniture, all the things we had, but we had hundreds and hundreds of books and my parents shipped all these books over. And so it took them like eight months to arrive. Went from Kiev, Ukraine, to Moscow, to New York, and finally to Orlando. But then when they arrived, it like, it really imprinted on me the importance to my family of knowledge and of learning. Mm -hmm. And so we had these books. We have, you know, Jack London, Shakespeare, all these great authors. Yeah, in Russian translation, every classical Russian writer, but every classical American writer as well. So, So growing up with those books in my home... I always knew how important books were to my family. Right. And that uh, kind of led my, my obsession with books and magic. It mm-hmm. helped me really appreciate that you can get the most amount of knowledge from, from, a, yeah, from the book. book. Yeah. Which is awesome. Um, and I'll come back to that. But so I remember we were just talking about this before we started recording, that you're Jewish. Mm-hmm. And then you mentioned that you had family die in the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit more about that. Like, who, is that... We're talking about grandparents, aunts, uncles. Yeah, 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 aunts, uncles. I mean, also during Stalin's time mm-hmm. after World War II. Um, so, yeah. So you know, and I know a little bit about Stalin, but was he? I mean, I've heard that there's uh, what more deaths attributed to him than Hitler, than yeah, Hitler exactly, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, he killed more of his own people. Set that's what, yeah, camps so he was and, killing more of his own people. Not so it wasn't even necessarily Jewish. It's just. He was, I mean, people that what that were not. Yeah, he was just starving them and sending them to work camps and all these things. Right. It was just like it was, it was, it was horrible. And in the country, nobody knew about it until much later. Because mm-hmm. again, they didn't want that information getting out. So only in the you know seventies and eighties were books and poetry distributed underground so that people would know what had happened. And the Soviet Union had a history of silencing people mm-hmm. who were trying to speak the truth. And you know, only artists were. Like, you had to be, like, a chess champion or an expert gymnast or an artist to get high up in society. And certainly, Jews were just put down everywhere, and you couldn't do anything. Right. You couldn't have anything, so... Because that was just sort of 
during that period of time, I mean, that was kind of like, throughout the culture, there was just this, like, it, it seemed like that's, people were blaming Jews. I mean, it was... Yeah, there's, or, a, his, there's a history yeah, of them being I mean, scapegoated, of course. Right. And, um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's terrible. It's really, mm-hmm. really, really terrible. So, I mean, that, just knowing that you had family, that, that sounds like that would also be very sort of influential in maybe how your parents raised you, knowing that history of how, like, I mean, I wonder how you, how your parents, like, would talk to you about that, because it just seems like really important history, and how to kind of keep the memory alive. Yeah, they never sugarcoated anything. I mean, where I grew up, so in Kiev, during the Holocaust, there was a a big massacre called Babi Yar, Mm -hmm. where literally it was a grave site. They made them dig up this giant grave and stand in front of it, and they shot him, and they fell back in, and so... Uh, I grew up with knowing that that's happened in my city and how many mm-hmm. people were killed, and the history of my my on both my parents' side, their grandparents, what they had to go through, and how they helped fight in World War Two. You know, helped were a part of the Russian army. It's yeah, mm-hmm. it's that's, awfully depressing to think about. Yeah. But at the same time, how important it is. I was just mm-hmm. in D.C. yesterday, and there's the, the Holocaust Museum, and it's just how important it is to remember our history, and. You know, every generation, I, I was told as a kid, like, oh, you don't care about history. And I kind of didn't. And it was amazingly, it was magic that helped me care about mm-hmm. history. So, you know, f- we are condemned to repeat those mistakes un- unless we learn about them. And and you see it in every, just like mm-hmm. fashion repeats itself. Yeah. And history repeats itself. Everyone's mm-hmm. making the same mistakes that they made decades ago. And it's scary because so many of the things that my parents told me when I was a kid, I was like, ah, oh, whatever. Now I see how true they are. Like what? Give me um, an example. Well, just just that just that history repeats itself. Yeah. I remember my mom telling me like, "Oh, that fashion." I saw something new, and I was like, "This is so cool." And yeah. She's like, "Oh, that was popular in the 1940s." Yeah. And I was like, "That's crazy." Now I see it. Now yes, it's not. yes. Like, the things that are coming back in style were popular in the 80s and 90s. Right, and right. Like that. I'm finally starting. I'm finally getting old enough to see that myself. Yes. Like, because I know my mom said that when I was a kid, and I'm like, I don't know. She's like, "Just wait, you'll see it." And then I hit a certain age, and I'll see like someone younger wearing something. Yeah. I'm like, I wore that when I was like 13. Exactly. What are you? It, it takes time to see it. That's all you can have is have time to appreciate the history of it. And it reminds me of the Mark Twain quote. It says, when I was 14, my parents knew absolutely nothing. Yeah. And by the time they, I had turned 21, I was amazed how much they had learned in seven yeah. years. <laughs> so it's, it's, I mean, it really is. As kids, we're so blind and we just think the world is all around us. This is, you know, life yeah. is, was created for us. Because we come into this world and we're only looking at what's possible. And we're still trying to see, like, who am I? What can I achieve yeah. in life? You know, am I going to fail? Am I going to succeed? So we're so busy surviving in our own skin that only when we get a little more comfortable in our own skin can we then look back mm-hmm. and, then, and then look at the history mm-hmm. of humanity. Um, a great book I'm reading right now is called Sapiens. And it's the history of, of human culture and over time. And it's an amazing book. Yeah. You read it. You just like realize how... How, how much we have changed and how much we've stayed the same. And that uh, gives you a better perspective on life yeah. as well. Uh, so you move over here. You said you, when you were coming over here, you, you're a refugee. When you found a place to live in Orlando, was that, did it start out with like a community? Was it many of you from Ukraine in together or was it or were you living kind of like your you got your own place or yeah so it was um random families we we didn't know each other but there was five families that moved at the same the same summer that Mm -hmm. we did and what happened is we 
Um, we said no to New York because everyone was moving to New York. My parents said, we want to come to America. We want our kids to be Americanized. We don't want to go to Little Russia and Brooklyn. Right, right, right. So it was a random lottery pick that ended up happening, bringing us to Orlando. And it was the Jewish Federation of Greater Orlando that had sponsored the families oh, that summer. Okay. So when we landed, these families literally greeted us at the plane. We stayed at their home for the first week or two. Then they helped my parents find an apartment. People donated clothing, furniture. Mm-hmm. They gave. They helped. I mean, they really did amazing things purely purely on a volunteer status, mm-hmm. you know. And it's very similar to what's happening right now with Syria, with the immigrants mm-hmm. coming over. And you see how well the Canadians are treating them and taking them in. It reminds me how kind the Americans were to us and mm-hmm. to my family when we came here. So that's another one of those historical political things right now where people are scared of this, oh, potential of terror coming in. But right. really, these people are fleeing their country because they're being... They're being killed and they're right. being persecuted and they just want to get out. These are parents and kids. Mm-hmm. And I think back to Ukraine where my family, one of the few Jewish families, we were best friends with the, the one and only Syrian family. Yeah. There's a picture of us when we're all kids, the Jews and the Syrians standing together. We're all best friends in That's Ukraine. Awesome. So like I think back to like us having you know, a, a peaceful human-to-human connection and I just think that that people here need to realize that it's a very similar thing happening right now. Right. And I think that's, you kind of see that right now, like the, I feel like the overall climate in America is fear. And when fear, when you let fear kind of control you, your decision making isn't about helping other people. It's all about yourself and you don't, you don't care if someone's fleeing for their life. It's just like, nope. You know, I mean, so that's really unfortunate. And I'm glad you've had an awesome experience getting to come over here at the time that you did. Um, and again, and it's people helping us just because it's, you know, the right thing to do. And, mm-hmm. and so I, I hope more people will continue to keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. The people that want to come to America are coming here for peace, for freedom. Mm-hmm. And, and most of the time it's the immigrants that work the hardest when they right. come here. Absolutely. That's how this country has grown. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you, you come over here, mm-hmm. you're, you're nine, you, uh, start going to school um, I mean, it's kind of, this is a little bit of stereotype, but in America, I feel like some of your, you go through phases, right? But I feel like high school has got some def- defining moments for you. What yeah. was, what was high school like for you? Like, were you, I mean, were you a little more on the nerd side? Were you kind of a jock? What was your... Jock, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, 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 definitely. I think high school was better than I perceived it to be. Really? Okay. You know, because I perceived it to be that I'm, I'm the outsider, I'm the geek, and I'm just trying to get by, and I'm trying to figure things out. So I was kind of friends with everybody because mm-hmm. of the magic. So once I became known as the magic kid, mm-hmm. every circle would, like, let me in. Because they yeah. wanted to see. Yeah, because they wanted to see magic. And I was, by senior year, I was, like, tired of it. I was like, I'm just being used for my magic tricks, <laughs> you know. But at first, it, it did. Um, I was doing TV production. I really enjoyed that. And I remember not really caring about school until my junior year. And then junior year... I had a really great AP Lit teacher that really got me fascinated by poetry and literature, and it was just, it really helped. Mm-hmm. And so my AP classes were really great, got me interested in great topics. Um, but socially, definitely a nerd. <laughs> and, um, and I felt like I, I, I struggled. But then afterwards, when I run to my friends from high school, they're all like, oh, he loved you. And I was like, well, I didn't, definitely didn't feel the love then. And I felt so like, maybe <laughs> in that time, there was like some insecurity where you're thinking yeah. people didn't like you, but that wasn't actually the case. So through the lens that you're looking at, you're like, oh, I probably wasn't very well liked. But now as you go back, you're like, oh, I, I just misread that yeah. situation. Yeah, completely. yeah, yeah. So much of it is so. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so... 
let's, when did you start getting into magic? Right around that time, it was um, in seventh, eighth grade. Mm -hmm. I did a book report on Houdini, and I saw I was watching World's Greatest Magic specials mm -hmm. on NBC, and it was fascinating to to just watch you know Bill Malone, Jeff McBride, all these magicians on TV, and I recorded on my VHS tapes and I played yes, those specials VHS. like forty times over, um, and I just became obsessed. Mm -hmm. Performed in school, performed for friends. Um, and I had a very close friend of mine, Aaron. Um, he taught me a couple little tricks, and we would hang out at his place, do magic. And I think the obsession, I remember the exact night that I kind of it all clicked for me was someone told me that Ricky Jay was doing a show on HBO, mm -hmm. and I was going to stay up because it was one of the last times they were going to show it, and it was going to be on at 2 a.m., and so I stayed up to record it. And that day I had gotten from the library Melbourne Christopher's Illustrated History of Magic. And so I remember from like 11 p.m. till 2 a.m., reading about this history of magic that I never knew existed mm -hmm. and this new world is opening up to me and then watching the Ricky Jay special and I couldn't fall asleep afterwards it was the first time I'd seen a really amazing cups and balls routine and I stayed up to like 7 in the morning practicing that routine and I just remember that night was like okay I am obsessed with this this is what I want to do yeah yeah and right away I started creating my own routines and tricks and coming up with ideas and as I was learning, I also really enjoyed sharing. Mm -hmm. So when I was 14, I started an online e-newsletter, e-magazine. Really? And I would post online on these message boards. So I was very, um, very quickly and way too young for my age, was I also ready to share and teach. That's awesome. But, but that became a positive thing over time. Right. That, that desire in me to help others and to share knowledge and teach. Um, as, as, as goofy as it was when I was 14, it definitely became one of the more positive things in my life. Well, I think that's interesting. So I do think some people have a certain personality trait where they, they like, I, I, when you think back to like high school and you think about a definitive teacher, that was what that person was supposed to do. Whereas then you can have someone that's brilliant, but they're not a good teacher. They don't know how to communicate it to you. So just as the way you're talking to me, I could see that that would probably be a personality trait of yours. That you're, you kind of seem like you're a teacher. I mean, is that something you're doing right now? I know I'm kind of jumping ahead, but like, are you... Do you currently teach magic or teach other things as well? Yeah, I do. I do. Like, the teaching thing stuck with me. Um, and what happened was, like, I was going to the magic club, and there was, you know, every month we'd have a different person lecturing, coming mm -hmm. in, a mag visiting magician. And I just thought, okay, well, this is what you do. Mm -hmm. So when I was 18, I wrote my first book of, like, like a, a good collection of tricks. And I got on the bus, and I did a tour of the U.S. Performing. At 18? Yeah, yeah, it was really wow. funny. I just literally thought that that's what you're supposed to do, and I had enough of my own tricks that I wrote my booklet, and I got a Greyhound bus ticket. It was all you can travel for two weeks. Okay, I'm going to just pause you right there, because I'm hearing two different people right now. You've got the, you've got the personality, you're, or you're telling me the story of, like, I didn't really think I was very liked, and I think that was insecurity, and then you got this... So much confidence, it sounds like. Is it not confidence? It wasn't, it wasn't confidence. It was drive. Drive? It was, it was drive because I was just driven to share and I was driven to... It wasn't confident. I didn't, I didn't think that somebody needed to, to hear me or see me or I needed to be out there. I simply thought that this is what you do. And once I had the ideas and I had written this set of notes, I thought this is just what you do. Okay. And I emailed all these clubs and half of them said no, half of them said yes. So I did a five-city tour. And I went, that is amazing. It, it, That's a, I mean, it's I see what I can see where you're coming from, and I think too when you're like a kid, like you don't even realize what you're doing. You're yeah. just 
you're probably just so passionate, like, oh, I'm going to do this, you know? And, like, now, you got to look back on that and be like, what? Yeah, and That's it's crazy. funny. My parents just, like, wave me off. Yeah, yeah like, oh, my God. Enjoy the country. Yeah. <laughs> which, is, which was started as we were kids, because when I was six and seven, they'd put me on a train or trolley or bus mm-hmm. in Kiev and say, go see your grandma across town. And we would ride public transportation mm-hmm. across town. So they were totally cool. Yeah. Like, they weren't protective parents, you know? Yeah. They were like, no, go learn, explore, and see the world. Do you think, though, growing up... Uh, in the Soviet Union, was it like overall in a way safer though when it comes to like the odds of like getting? I mean, yeah, like, much safer because like kids were out, You yeah. can't go just. Yeah, you can't have your kids you running around send, the neighborhood. Yeah. No, you can't send a seven-year-old. Like, your kid's gonna get taken. I mean. <laughs> no, and in the Soviet Union, it was so so much more carefree, relaxed. You were never worried about that. Kids right. were always playing, traveling, doing their own thing. Yeah, a lot more freedom, a lot more responsibility high level of education it was just mm-hmm. very different it's like it's so interesting you get to see that they didn't have any resources yeah. they didn't have enough food to feed their people but education was higher there than, than most places in the world so there's certain things that they valued culture art sports yeah, so yeah, yeah. certain things they focused on to the to the detriment you know by not having capitalism they just didn't have enough resources yeah. and people didn't have the freedom to start their own business and start creating right. their own opportunities so you know, Some as people, yeah, 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 as people, we're all the same. We're all humans, right? But the systems and the social structures that we set up end up influencing us positively or yeah. negatively for decades. So you're 18. You're going on this tour. Uh, where were some you? Did you say five states? Or yep. yeah, I did five cities. I went five from cities. Orlando to New York. Mm-hmm. Did a lecture at the Long Island Jewish Hospital. My friend's car with all my magic stuff was towed um, <laughs> while we were having like donuts. <laughs> Before the lecture. Oh, no. So that was an adventure. He ended up having to go. While I'm lecturing, he had to go and get the car from the tow place and, like, cry and beg them to get the car back. <laughs> we were both 18. Um, I went to um, Richmond, Virginia, Peoria, Illinois, Huntsville, Alabama. And I think I did Denny and Lee's in Baltimore. Um, and I'm not sure if that was also when I did Mark D'Souza's in Philadelphia. I think that might have been one of the stops. So maybe six spot, stops. But... And you were using a friend's car to get there? No, 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 no. I took the Greyhound, the Greyhound bus, all the way up oh, to New York, 24 hours. And then my friend picked me up there in New York. Okay, okay. And then from there, back in the Greyhound, traveling across the country. That's a long... This sounds like... Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, it was insane. Days. It was just insane. So from then on, and, and I tell this story kind of in my shows, where the next year I did 10 cities by car. Then the next year I did 20 cities by plane. And so from 20 to 28, I was traveling doing 30 to 50 cities a year. And I was spending half my time in Orlando doing shows for the tourists that were coming in, Mm -hmm. performing at restaurants. And then the other half was doing lectures for magicians. Mm -hmm. And so, again, I had enough of my own original ideas and tricks that I was comfortable sharing. And I enjoyed the learning process. Like, I remember when I was 18 and I did, like, a practice lecture for my local club... I brought in a worksheet mm-hmm. for people to like fill out mm-hmm. and like participate. And so, excuse me, I've always really cared about that learning process. Um, and so now I still do, and I still teach. I don't do as many lectures for magicians now, but I talk to businesses mm-hmm. and I, I talk about the things that I know about, which is customer relationships and sales, customer service management. And so I talk to groups and I do educate them, but it's not silly magic tricks. It's content that took me 10 years to develop. Right. Um, but I enjoy making a difference so much more these days and just getting an applause like, oh, you're the best we've ever seen. That's fine. I would rather hear, wow, you really made a difference for us. Yeah. And so I have taken a different leap and I've taken kind of a sidestep for magic. So magic is still at the core of what I mm-hmm. do, but I'm definitely finding my place in helping organizations mm-hmm. run better, um, whether it's government, public, private, mm-hmm. whatever it may be. I I just think that 
you know, and, and it is a Jewish thing that I grew up with the idea that we have a responsibility to make the world a better place. Mm-hmm. Tikkun olam is the phrase, and it's we that that's just my mindset. Mm-hmm. It's just, it has nothing to do with religion. It just has everything to do with the fact that I believe that. I'm here, I'm so lucky to be here, and if I have the opportunity to help people, to teach people, to, to leave the world better than when I came into it, if that's all I do, then that'll be enough. Then you did your job. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. So, you, at 18, you did this uh, five-city tour. Did you go to college at all? Yeah. Did you fit that in? Yeah, Did you yeah, go yeah. to college? I did. I and did. And do all this traveling? I did. It's, that, that's why it took me a long time. It took me nine years to nine graduate years. because what I did was I got into, I started when I was 18, University of Central Florida, mm-hmm. and I did three years full time okay. while I was like working in a magic shop in Orlando and doing these places. And then I got my first trade show gig when I was like 20. Mm-hmm. And I, I was like... So you had one year left, right? Because you did three years full yeah. time, so you had one year left, and then you made that one year like five years. I literally I made that year five years, yeah. <laughs> exactly right. Because I had this opportunity to work, yes. and I consciously said... And at this point, I, I was studying for philosophy. I was getting okay. my philosophy degree. And I had finished all my philosophy classes. I literally did everything backwards. Right. I did two years of philosophy courses. Uh-huh. Then when it came to my third year, I did... Uh, you know, whatever gen is. And then I said, okay, I can just do this online. I can finish this. So for the next four years, I was taking one class online every other semester just to keep my toe in the water and keep my my students standing, taking French, Buddhism, astronomy, all these things. I took Buddhism. That was a really fascinating class. It is, it is. So, So I did all that. And then eventually it was, you know, it took... People were trying to convince me, oh, you should finish, you need this education, you need this degree. And I was like, what do I need a philosophy degree for? <laughs> and, and by then, I loved philosophy, and it was influencing my magic, but my magic was already a business at that time. Right, absolutely. So I was like, I- I'm fine. And then Mark D'Souza, who's a historian, a collector of magic in Philadelphia, he said something to me that, that changed it all for me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and if anybody who's listening to this is in that same position where they're thinking about, you know, do I do work or do I go to college? And, and I was at a point where I started school, and I didn't want to finish it. And he just said to me something that no, no one else came even close. Everyone else was giving me advice, telling me you have to, you need to. And he just goes, you know, it's good to finish what you started. <laughs> Killed me. Killed me. There was nothing I can say to that. There was nothing. The moment he said that, I knew I was going to finish. <laughs> it was just like, holy crap, you're right. And it gave me a different connection to my clients because I could talk to my clients not just about my magic tricks mm-hmm. and how I learned them, but I could talk to them about other interesting mm-hmm. things. I remember the first time my client in uh, 2006 Magic Magazine came out, so I was 23, and he reads the whole story, and he had hired me when I was 20, and he was shocked, because he read my age in the story, and he turns to me, and he goes, wait a minute, you weren't even 21 when we hired you? And here he was hiring me to hang out at this banker convention, <laughs> go to cocktail parties, and talk history, politics, and culture while doing magic, Right. but talking to these bankers and all these people... And they thought I was like, you know, 25, 30 at that time when I was just still 20. So you, you don't have a baby face or anything. You were able to pass off as old, like, oh, right? <laughs> no, I'm not saying you like that. I no, just, no, no, you're right. Absolutely. When I was 21, I looked like I was like 17. Yeah, yeah. Like, and my first job after I graduated college was a high school math teacher. And I would dress to the nines with makeup. And I'd, I'd be stopped in the hall every day. Very why, why are you not in class? I'm like, so that's pretty awesome that at 20, yeah. you're yeah, I was able, able to keep up and no one's like, 
And How old it, are you? It helped be literally the moving to another country but yeah, and not really old. I was like, <laughs> all stressed. But but it helped that we were moving when at nine years old, moving to another country, transform made me grow up so much faster. Mm, so yeah, I was I'm already sure. like not dealing with kid stuff anymore. Right. And, well, so. I mean, were you dealing with kid stuff? In well, no, but yeah, yeah. But if well, you, you would. Da- you're right. I mean, you yeah. would continue. If you have yeah, no yeah, worries yeah. and no stress, you're going to continue yeah, sure. taking life easy as a kid. But here I am being like, oh, we're, we're moving yeah, across that's, the world. Yeah, that's very stressful. It makes very you go up fast. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. I understand that. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, one thing I wanted to ask you about, what was your, like in high school, let's say, what was like your day-to-day life like? So you're, I mean, saying because you're Jewish, how did that play in? Did you grow up going to... Um, Temp, like to a temple. Yeah, yeah, I did. I had my bar mitzvah. I grew up, you know, I was the first one from three generations to have a bar mitzvah. So um, it was very important to me from a cultural perspective and from the fact that my, my parents moved over here for the freedom of religion. So you said you're the first one because you weren't like allowed. Yeah, no one was allowed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not I allowed, didn't know so. that. This is the stuff that I care about. And I, I, I try to put it in all my shows as well. I mean, to mm-hmm. me, when, when I do my shows, it's fun and it's entertainment. The only, you know, I, I bring... Not serious, but I bring deep. I bring mm-hmm. deeper issues into it. But to me, the biggest the biggest issue that I bring to my show is that isn't it amazing that we're all here. Mm-hmm. Like that to me is the only thing that I can, with certainty, say. How incredible is mm-hmm. it that we are all here together right now? Mm-hmm. And what are the chances? Because we could have been anywhere. Our lives could have been different. Everything could have been different. But yet here we are together in this room mm-hmm. for this show. And that's all I care about is the present moment. Mm-hmm. So what I love about magic is that it puts religion aside, it puts language aside, mm-hmm. it puts everything aside, and all that's happening is the interaction between us. So whether it's at for, for kids at a hospital, whether it's at a banker's convention, whether it's on the street or in the boardroom, none of those things matter except the, the interaction between us. And with magic, for a lot of magicians, it starts off with me, 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 look at me, look how good I am, and it takes a while for the magician to become confident Mm -hmm. in themselves that they realize that's not the most important thing. And then when they're able to shift the focus of magic onto the audience Mm -hmm. is where where I think great, maybe not great art, but great experiences Mm -hmm. arise is when the the shift is on the audience. And so certainly that's what I focus on. Mm -hmm. That's what drives me. And so I never talk about my opinions or my beliefs with my audience. Again, I don't proselytize. I don't try to make anyone believe what I do. All I can do is make people aware of their belief systems, of their thinking systems, and also, interestingly, how we are fooled. I mm. think, to me, that's oh, the most wanna, important what, thing. Yeah, what, 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 how are we fooled? We're fooled we, all the time. Yeah. I mean, that's what magic shows me, right. is that we are constantly being fooled. So my job is to fool people, right. but I'm honest about it. Okay. Right? People pay me to, to, <laughs> to lie to them, and they know that's what I'm doing. So what I look at is how easily people are fooled and how they're manipulated just as well by politicians... Mm-hmm. By lawyers, by marketers, by magicians, it's all the same. And we have all these cognitive misses that we don't pick up on the right information. We we have biases. We have all these yes. things mm-hmm. that influence us. So that's where I feel like I'm more. I'm really fascinated with now, and that's where I'm moving towards is a focus on helping people understand how their brains work, how they perceive situations, how they analyze them, why they make the decisions they do, and to be aware of why you're making these mistakes. Because otherwise, we're so busy doing our own crap in life that we don't realize 
that we're just little ants <laughs> and we're programmed in certain ways. And mm-hmm. so I think it's critical. And that's what really magic has, has taught me so much. The importance of, like I tell people, like the fact that you're fooled, you know, don't be upset mm-hmm. that you're fooled. Instead, consider that, wow, I was fooled by this. What else am I fooled mm-hmm. by in life? That's mm-hmm. the deeper thing for me. And what is that? Is that your jobs? Is that your family? Is that the, the social structures mm-hmm. that you've created, the political structures, the religious structures? All those things are constructs that we've created mm-hmm. through language and, and space. And so how can we get away from that? Mm-hmm. How can we create our own world? Mm-hmm. That's what I'm fascinated by now. That's awesome. You know, the one piece of advice maybe that I can share with anybody listening to this is that don't be afraid to believe that things are going to be good mm-hmm. because they will be. Mm-hmm. And and when we when we focus on the future, we know what we want it to be. We're afraid that it's not going to happen that way, and so we limit ourselves. But what I found, if there's anything in these thirty years of plus of my life, is that you just have to to trust yourself mm-hmm. and imagine the future that you want, and and slowly go for that. You'll have the bumps along the way, but eventually you'll get there. Mm-hmm. And, and to not distress the journey yeah. as much. I love it. Cool. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. All right, guys, that's our show. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll see you next week. Today we were produced by Pinnacle Spades, and our music was done by Keegan McClanahan. All right, thanks, everyone.